five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this? What is it? Thursday? It's uh SEC tournament. Uh, how are we feeling? The week flies by, and now uh, now we get wall-to-wall basketball, which I'm excited about. Uh, couldn't be more excited about the start of football. I know we're going to do do football today, of course, or mostly football. Uh, but, man, uh, this this is the college basketball time of the year. I mean, starting today, starting tomorrow, uh, it's just big-time fun from here until whenever it ends for Alabama. And thankfully, it might be ending a little later for Alabama than uh, than usual. Yeah, that's a great point. Um and, you know, I wish Alabama was playing today, but it, it's a good thing. I guess they're playing tomorrow. Right. You know, get a little bit of an extra break. They've kind of, I mean, they, they, they finished the year, what, three and one. So it's not like they had a bad record to finish. But that, I don't, I don't think anybody would say that they were playing their best basketball. I had to overcome some double digit, you know, deficits in a couple of them. Um, hadn't shot the basketball particularly well. Uh, lost against Texas A&M. So, I mean, I wouldn't say it's their, been their best basketball as of late, but they're still figuring out ways to win a lot of these games. And uh, hopefully, you know, getting a little bit of extra time off will help them kind of reset things a little bit and, and get ready for the NCAA tournament after the SEC tournament, of course. But we are here to talk football. You know, we're going to talk some basketball, depending on how they continue to to carry their way through the, uh, the, the tournament uh, soon to be. But for now... We're, we're staying on the football side of things because Jimmy, you're in a couple of weeks, uh, less than a couple of weeks. Um, you've got spring training coming up. Yeah, I mean, it is less than two weeks. It's to the point. I think we can officially say in just a little more than a week, uh, it's spring practice. Uh, you know, obviously, y'all probably haven't heard, but I, I assume there won't be uh, media coverage as usual. <laughs> you won't, you won't, you won't get your first two periods before the whistle blows, right? I mean, I think we're going to be having more media banned from practice. Uh, I don't think we're ever going back, Jimmy. If I'm yeah, sticking candidly, um, <laughs> unless the bowl practice makes them let us in, I, I don't, I don't foresee us ever getting that uh, ability right. ever again. Yeah, so uh, so we're gonna have to go by on, uh, on 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 breaking down the the videos they supply and the information we get from coach. Uh, but but it still will be fun knowing that they're out there and getting some information that we'll get to y'all best that we can as we get it. And of course, uh, every morsel of information we get, we'll, we'll break it down thoroughly. Uh, I'm looking forward to all of that. Uh, a lot of quarterback talk last few days. Uh, whenever you have a quarterback controversy in camp, that becomes sort of the story. You know, I wouldn't necessarily, it's funny how we, we call it competition at the other positions and it's a controversy at the quarterback spot. Um, <laughs> but I guess that's just football. There's competition actually at a lot of spots. Uh, there are four returning offensive linemen that have starts in the past, Clint, uh, but only four, not five. So four who have started games, Darren Dowcourt, Seth McLaughlin, J.C. Latham, and Tyler Booker. So there needs to be at minimum a fifth guy, uh, and, and probably more than that, because you want to push those, those returning starters. Uh, so that's interesting in terms of competition. Losing so many DBs. We just saw them last week at the Combine. Uh, there, were, there were four Alabama DBs at the Combine. Uh, Battle and Helms and Ricks, or I guess that's at least uh, three. Was there one more? Battle, Helms, Ricks. Well, Kyrie Jackson left the program. 
anyway, there, there's a lot of, of new new defensive backs. Brian Branch, it was the fourth guy at the combine. So you, you lose four guys who would have been starters. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say rebuilding. To me, it's reloading. A lot of good players back there. Uh, but but you got the DB spots too. So the, the, there'll be competition in a lot of positions and a lot of new faces, Clint, uh, by the time A-Day rolls around. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today particularly the weight changes, you know, the updated roster. I thought that was pretty big. I thought it was pretty revealing uh, diving through there and figuring out, okay, who's gained weight, who's lost weight. What does that tell us, if anything? And sometimes we're wrong. You know, it, it doesn't tell us what we think it tells us. But I think generally you can kind of get an idea of where they're trying to go with certain things. And so, you know, we, we put our best guess on it. Uh, that's all we can really do. And, you know, I feel like more times than not, we're going to be right. So I wanted to talk about some of these weight changes and, and we'll take it uh very quickly position by position um some of these are more important than others uh we'll start you know typically you'd start with the quarterbacks but i think with with weight gain and there was some there was definitely some but i don't think it's the most important i think on offense i think it's the offensive line and really you could probably include the tight ends in there as well uh because it's just you can tell everybody i mean you know you got jc latham going from 326 to 335 that's a nine pound difference Elijah Pritchett, who we fully expect to uh, compete for a starting job, he goes from 300 to 312. Um, you know, Terrence Ferguson has moved up another 18 pounds. He's gained 28 pounds since he arrived in Tuscaloosa at 290. But I think 318 tells a much different story than 300. Caden Proctor going from 330 to 354 at 6'7". Uh, Seth McLaughlin going from 295 to 300 plus at 301. Dowcourt added five pounds. Wilkin Formby was a 295-pound, you know, lean, long offensive tackle. He's now sitting at 320, so he's gained 25 pounds. Uh, Alenin, you know, went from 315 to 326. He, you know, gained 11. And you've got some guys who needed to lose some weight, some of those younger guys, Rock Montgomery, Miles McVay, both of them, you know, lost pretty significant weight. They're heading in the right direction after being, you know, 350 to 360. Um but then even a guy like Jaden Roberts, who's who's going to be competing for a job as well, he used to be a bigger body guy, you know, 320, 330 type of offensive lineman with, with where Alabama was wanting to take things. He continuously lost weight year over year, and he had gotten all the way down to 302 pounds, which is pretty, you know, impressive. Now with Alabama wanting to go in the opposite direction and get bigger and more physical, he's all the way back up there at uh, 316, so that's a 14-pound difference. Jimmy, I mean, I think the offensive identity with with the offensive line and the tight ends too, and we'll talk more about the, them here in just a second, but I think it's wanting to get uh, bigger, more physical, and controlling the line of scrimmage a lot more than they have in the last couple of years. That's exactly right. It just screams run game to me. It just screams like we're going to run the ball on first down better than we have the past couple of years. Uh, if when you're When you're clearly making every effort to get bigger up front, you bring in an offensive coordinator who has a reputation for, for wanting to run a very physical offense that features a tight end, that runs the ball a lot, that doesn't throw it all over the yard. Uh, so, you know, you get an OC that's committed to the run game. You get bigger on the offensive line. You sign Justice Haynes and Richard Young in one class, two of the top five running back prospects in the country. Uh, you bring in C.J. Dupree. I mean, I've said four on the show. Uh it's it's almost this simple about figuring out an offense, Clint. If you it, it, you don't need to ask the offense coordinator or the head coach 
coach, tell me about your philosophy or tell me what you're trying to do on offense. All you have to ask is, what does the tight end do in your offense? What do you expect of the tight end position? And I think it appears clear to both of us that the primary tight end for Alabama this fall uh, is going to be C.J. Dupree. Uh, he's 260 pounds almost. Uh, he, he's even bigger than Latu. He's a better blocker than Cam Latu. Uh, and and, and you, you also have others who can block as well. Robbie Oost may be the primary H. He's a block first guy. Even at the H spot, he's a block first guy. Uh, it just all screams run, run, run. Then on top of that, you got new quarterbacks. And, and what does a new quarterback need to do? They need to lean on the run game so you're not putting the whole game. We're not going to put the whole game on Ty Simpson. Look, the last two years, you don't criticize O'Brien all you want. The last two years, they put the game on Bryce. And understandably so, they should have. It was the right thing to do. But the game had been on Bryce and on Bryce's right arm. Uh, it had been on the pass game, built it around Bryce and everything that Bryce does. And you won a whole lot of games for it, if not for injuries at wide receiver. You would have won a national championship playing that way. And who knows what might have happened this year if Bryce hadn't, hadn't hurt his shoulder a little bit. So I, I think, Clint, all these changes, the weight changes you've gone over and you went over in your, your great story this week, uh, it just screams to me, we're telling the world uh, Alabama's back to running the football. Right, yeah. And, and you know – I've talked about it a lot over the last few years, especially, and really in the past, it's been talking about Stetson Bennett, and and really it was 2021 talking about, you know, if you're going to be successful as a quarterback, you either need to be a Bryce Young style of player who can literally put everything on his back, he can carry the offense, he can score as many points pretty much as he needs to, to keep up with a defense that's maybe struggling. But unless you have that caliber of player, which Alabama could certainly have that, and you can have a Bryce Young and do all the other stuff as well, but it's just, you know, you can overcome a lot if you've got a dynamic player at that position. But if you've got a player like Seth and Bennett, you can still win with him, which Georgia has proven, back-to-back -back national championships, only lost one game. Um, but how you do that is all the complimentary stuff. It's having an offensive line that's big and physical and can establish the run game and play off of that run game. Make defenses respect it. Make that be the priority in trying to stop you. That takes a lot of pressure off your quarterback, and if you can have success running the football, you can play off of that with play action, and it opens up your your passing game. Um, so, you know, a big offensive line that can keep you protected, can run the football, a good stable of running backs that are a threat to defenses, a play caller you trust. I know Bryce trusted Bill O'Brien. I think Bill O'Brien was fine. I don't think he was he was dynamic. Um, I think it was more of if Alabama would have had all the complimentary things, I think Bill O'Brien could have been Todd Munkin. I certainly do, you know, but, but Georgia helped Todd Munkin by giving him an experienced quarterback who knew what he was doing, but he also had the run game. He had the big physical offensive line. He had the complimentary defense, which is something that we, I don't think we talk about enough, you know, offense defense goes hand in hand and, and, and you know, I, I feel like, Alabama's offense and some of these, or excuse me, their defense and some of these big games, it wasn't taking pressure off of Bryce Young. You know, it, it was the Tennessee game where the Vols are scoring pretty much at will, and every time Bryce Young touches the football, he's got to, to put up points. You know, against LSU, it kind of got to that point where the defense wasn't able to, to do enough to be able to keep LSU from scoring points. Now, it wasn't as much as the Tennessee game or even close to it, but 
what I'm saying is, is there wasn't a whole lot of situations where Bryce was able to step on the field and say, my defense has got me. Every game it felt like it was it was it felt like it was on Bryce's shoulders, um, especially in 2022. So just the way that Alabama is constructing this roster defensively, offensively, I think it's going to put the quarterback. It might not put as much on their shoulders. They might have to not carry as much. That might mean less being in the Heisman conversation. Um, less doesn't mean that you can't be, but just less than you normally would if you were having to literally carry your team. But I think it's going to help Alabama, you know, as a whole. Yeah, the fans might not like it when, you know, Alabama's been averaging. I mean, no one has scored more points than Alabama. I, I don't know how far back you got to go. And I'm saying this without knowing the stats, but I feel very comfortable in saying that in FBS football, going back to, let's say, uh, the day Tua Tungavailoa became the starting quarterback at Alabama in 2018. Going back to 2018, if we want to go back that far, that's what, six seasons of college football, five seasons. Uh, no one has scored more points in Alabama in that that period of time. No one. Uh, I, I think what might happen, what we might see this upcoming year, is pulling back on the reins of the offense in terms of points uh, and, and being a little more ball control, being a little more offensive line controlling the tempo of the game, uh, a little more run game, and maybe you do back up points-wise. Maybe you don't lead the nation in points or – I think this past year, Alabama finished fourth. Uh, you know, maybe you're not finishing in the top five. Maybe you're finishing somewhere around 10 or 15. But but you've you your game control has improved because now you're helping the defense. Defense might not need a lot of help, but the offense is helping the defense in that way. Longer possessions, uh, making the defense tougher during the week in practice with the physical ground game. Uh that, that's kind of how I see the, the seasons going. And, again, I think some fans will be frustrated. They're seeing Alabama scoring 45 every week. I think I think this, this next season, this upcoming season, I think uh, I think 38 or 39 might be the new 48. <laughs> uh, and, and maybe it's a touchdown or so less. Uh, but you're giving up less points, and, and, you, and you're more in control of the football game, even against really good teams. I think, ironically, I'll end this spiel with this. I think what you're about to see this fall, uh, speaking of Todd Munkin, is Alabama sort of copying Georgia and, and what Georgia's done the last couple of seasons as looking very appealing to Nick Saban and sort of like, hey, let's let's do a little more offense, kind of look like what they're doing. Uh, and, and ironically, Georgia's entire program has been, you know, copying Nick Saban. I, th- I think, I think maybe, uh, maybe it's time that Alabama copied Georgia just a little bit. And for some odd reason, people's got a problem with that. If you want to have success, and the problem that I think a lot of fans have with this statement is Alabama was the first of the two to have success. So you feel like you shouldn't have to copy anybody, but it's genius. It's what has allowed Nick Saban to remain as effective as he's been in every which way that you look, coaching, recruiting, everything, is his ability to to learn and adapt and not get too set in his ways. And he thought he was doing that, but and he could have continued to be stubborn and continue to get smaller on the offensive line and continue to try to put up you know 50 points a game and, and play your defense off of that and put them in more vulnerable positions. And, hey, that's what we thought that's where we thought the game was heading that's what a lot of teams are doing and we're going to continue to try to do that no I think he's realized he tried to make a change to stay with you know current 
But in that process, you realize maybe I've overstepped and, and that maybe I can go back the other way a little bit or a lot. I don't know what to what degree. It looks like it's going to be a lot, but we'll have to wait and see. But I think that it says it speaks volumes that he's willing to pivot and look at a team like Georgia and say, hey, they have proven that you can still win this way in college football with some, you know, adaptations. And he's willing to to move back in that direction. I don't think that people should look at that and say, oh, I can't believe we're, you know, you're, you're claiming that we're trying to copy Georgia and stuff. It's like, it's, it's, it, take the name away from it. Nick Saban's looking at another program that's being successful and he's saying, hey, we can find, we can outdo you at what you're doing. You know, that's kind of the belief. We're Alabama. We can recruit every bit as well as Georgia. We can do all these different things every bit as well as Georgia, but we've got some, some things that we can tweak and make this thing even better. And I think with a young, offensive mind like Tommy Reese I think you can get a plus version of, of Todd Munkin so I like the fact that you know he's looking at, at another program and he's willing to take bits and pieces to make his program better I think a real challenge and and it's, it's so over my head but I think a real challenge but it's, it's is can we get back to running the football being a more physical offense a, a team that can run the ball you know the, the teams that are best at running the ball Clint or is when the defense knows you're going to run the ball and they still can't stop it. That that that's when you've you you you're you're cooking with gas. Then can Alabama get back to imposing their will on the defense and the run game, but at the same time retaining some of the dynamic aspects of the offense that Alabama ran from 2018 to 2022, uh, and that is still have your explosive plays outside, still recruit wide receivers that the NFL is going to love still have a quarterback that the NFL is going to love. Uh, so you, you, you're still able to be dynamic when you need to be. Uh, I think that's a real challenge. I think when, when some people think it's easy, I would point to, okay, show me the offenses over time that, that, that are really good running the ball and also feature a lot of explosive plays outside. Uh, I, I think there's, I think people will struggle to find actual examples of that. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. So uh, I think Alabama wants to remain multiple. It's not going to be back to 2008. It's not going to be back to even the 2009 Alabama team of Greg McElroy. I, I don't think it'll be that, Clint. I, I, I think it'll be a step in that direction, a step, but, but still wanting to retain some explosiveness because that served the program so well uh, these past few seasons. Right. Yeah. And, I'll tell you this. I, I think it has every bit as much to do with Nick Saban and, and the way that he approaches his defense as it does wanting you know the offense to be more physical. Granted, I'll say Mike McCarthy, the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he got completely roasted for this. But a couple of days ago, he was talking about his offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. He was let go. A lot of people felt like he shouldn't have been let go. I think he's now the offensive coordinator for the Chargers. Chargers. Yeah, so he's got Justin Herbert. Now he took a big step up. But uh, Mike McCarthy, he said, I've been where Kellen's been. Kellen wants to light up the scoreboard, but I want him to run the damn ball so I can rest my defense. I think when you're a coordinator, you know, but you're in charge of the of the offense. Being a head coach and being a play caller, you're a little more in tune with everything. I don't desire to be the number one offense in the league. I want to be the number one team in the league with a number of wins and a championship. And if we got to give up some production and take care of the ball a little better to get that, then that's what I think we'll do because we have a really good defense. And a lot of people are wow. like, you, okay, 
you're purposefully oh. saying you're going to sacrifice offensive production. Like you want to score less points. The point of, of football is to score as many points as possible, score more than the other team. And you're willing to score less. And it's like, you know, a lot of people have roasted him for that, but I, Nick Saban's right there, Jimmy. I mean, he yeah, views things the exact same way. He understands that your defense and offense work together. together. And, and if you can put your defense in a position where they get more rest and can, you know, kind of figure things out on the sidelines and get things correct, then they're going to be more effective and they're going to allow less points. And, and that's okay. And, and for some odd reason, um, people don't seem to grasp that concept. Yeah, I, 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 I... Mike McCarthy's spiel. That's the first I've heard those quotes. It's crazy. I watch a lot of NFL Network. That's the first I heard that quote. I love it. It makes complete and total sense to me, and I think it makes total sense to Nick Saban and Gene Stallings and all of us that think like that. Uh, Kirby Smart. It, it, Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart. Absolutely. Uh, and and I, I just couldn't agree more. And it's frustrating for me. I mean, I this fans are just in love with offense. I, I get that. I. I've known that ever since I was a kid, and this is how I figured it out. Uh, I, I figured out as a kid before before I knew uh, football a little bit better now than I did as a kid, a little bit better. <laughs> but uh, going to A Day uh, when I was in college, you know, I noticed uh, back then A Day wasn't like A Day is now. But I would notice Clint uh, that this was Gene Stallings ninety ninety one ninety two in that range. I would notice when the offense would make a play, the crowd would clap, and when the defense would make a big play. Uh, the crowd was pretty silent, and it and and I'm just, it's it's like the fans only root for the offense, even though it's Alabama on on the field. It's all Alabama. You should be excited whenever the defense makes a stop or it makes a play, but fans just root for offense, and that was something I realized back then. Uh, but but it it it, it there is were you, a were you talking about during live major. games? I, I miss. I'm sorry, I missed that that part. Like, are you talking about during no. actual live football games? During like a day, during like yes. an a day, when it's Alabama versus Alabama or a scrimmage, it's Alabama versus Alabama. The fans cheer offensive plays that are made. They don't cheer defensive plays that are made. Uh, if, if if it's a run play, and the and the offense only gains two yards, which is a great play for the defense, there there's not a sound from the crowd. Uh, but if there is a pass play that makes 30, 35 yards, the crowd goes crazy. And I want to yell at everybody that's cheering like. Hey, Alabama just gave up a 35-yard pass play, and you guys were excited about this? That was even the second-team offense against the first-team defense. You should be like, holy crap, this is bad, you know? Yeah. But that's just fans are offense first. They want to score, score, score. You can lose a game 52-48, to 48, and the fans will go, oh, I can't believe we dropped that pass in the third quarter. That cost us the game. No, you gave up 52 points. That's why you lost the game. You know, it, 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 there is a relation. Now, to get back to what I call the symbiotic nature between offense and defense, to me it's exemplified by the Gene Stallings era, which featured almost zero offense. But the fact of the matter remained, that style of offense, which was just pounding the ball between the tackles for three to six to, to eight plays and then punting, but that style of offense – toughened up that defense that that was a really tough defense and what does Alabama want to do on defense get tougher what does Alabama want to do on offense run the ball these things are hand in hand and what's going to happen you watch because it's too simple too many people just look at the scoreboard Alabama is going to score less points and they're going to blame Tommy Reese <laughs> and Alabama is going to be tougher on defense 
and they're going to applaud Kevin Steele and continue to blame Pete Golding for like, see, see, see how we upgraded? It's Alabama's style of play on offense is really going to dictate a lot of these outcomes. It's not so much the coordinators. And frankly, they're all fine. Bill O'Brien, fine. Tommy Reese, fine. Kevin Steele, fine. Pete Golding, fine. It's the players, the style of play, and ultimately the Jimmys and the Joes. If it's like I said, if Bill O'Brien would have been asked to do what Tommy Reese is about to be asked to do, I feel like Bill O'Brien would be a lot viewed a lot more favorably amongst Alabama fans. I don't think Tommy Reese is going to be super popular because they're not going to score as many points, and you're not going to see them have a Heisman Trophy winning receiver and a Heisman finalist quarterback and a Heisman you know top five finish running back uh, you know in the same offense. Like you're not going to see that, so he's not going to be viewed probably as favorably as previous offensive coordinators, but I think you would have gotten the job done a lot more. Bill O'Brien would have, uh, had he been given the opportunity and, and really, you know, you look at, think about Tennessee and think about it from, from their perspective. When they stepped on the field to play Alabama, there was a lot of emotion involved. Uh, I totally get that. And you played in Knoxville compared to going on the road to play Georgia and Athens. But I think it was two very different approaches. I think with Alabama against Alabama, Tennessee knew we have to score every time we touch the football because yeah. Alabama's going to score every time they touch the football. And so the practice and the preparation, the way that you attacked Alabama's defense was different than how you attacked Georgia's defense because you weren't as worried. It wasn't a every single time we step on the field, we got to maximize every. And granted, you want to score every time you touch the football. I'm not saying that's not the goal. But I'm saying like there's this pressure going in where you're, you're even your game planning. It's like we got to get creative. And if we need to throw some some wrinkles and do some different things. We got to make sure every offensive possession we're putting some kind of points on the board or as many possessions as we possibly can against Georgia. You want to do that because they're really good, but you also understand you're going to take some beats against their defense and just the entire approach offensively. Some of the time it's like, Hey, we've got to manage things offensively and make sure that we're being calculated and smart. And it's just two different approaches. And there's not as much pressure because Georgia's offense doesn't put your, your offense, you know, it doesn't strain your offense to score because they're not going to score as often, even though, granted, Georgia this year put up just as many points per game as Alabama did. Uh, so they just did it in a very different way. It was more of a slow burn. It wasn't the explosive, you know, one-minute drives a whole lot, but they were very good at sustaining, and I think Alabama can do the same thing. Yeah, I was talking to this guy uh, during the coaching search. Uh, I'm, I, you know, these were uh, private uh, DMs and text messages stuff, but I uh, just happened to talk to this guy who, who probably doesn't listen to the show, so it's okay that I can say this. I won't say his name, but he's a, an Oklahoma guy and a real smart football guy. Uh, he was very interested in Alabama's courting of their offensive coordinator during the Alabama coordinator search. And uh, I'm going to butcher these numbers, Clint, but he, he was telling me that, uh, you know, be careful what you're signing up for with uh, – with their offensive coordinator, you know, who's, uh, who's extremely, uh, his name was very associated with the Alabama search at various points, uh, in the process. Um, and he, what he was talking about was, he's like, I'm shocked that Nick Saban's interested in him. I don't want to lose him because he's, he's very brainy. And it seems like it's our, our, our best way to win at times. I don't want to lose him. But I'm shocked Nick Saban be interested because here's an example of and, and he gave me an example in one of in one of the Oklahoma games how, how they had an enormous amount of possessions in the game because 
that's the style of play that they play, right? I think they had a total of something like 15 or 16 possessions in a game, which is a lot. And they scored on like 12 of the 16 possessions, either a touchdown or a field goal, which is a lot, which means you should win the game. By the way, they lost the game, even though they scored on 12 possessions. They still lost. And of their 12 possessions in which they scored, 10 of the 12 possessions that they scored on was less than 60 seconds of possession time. And he's like, this is how some teams win. It's how maybe Tennessee and TCU are winning. But I'm surprised that Nick Saban, defense first Nick Saban, wants to win this way uh, because this is kind of what he's signing up for. And I couldn't have agreed more. And, and I'm so glad that we went in the other direction and not in the stomp the accelerator. Uh, because while it might be fun to score on 12 possessions, that might be a lot of fun to have that many possessions and score. It's no way to win every single week. It's like building a college basketball team and, and maybe you're the best three-point shooting team in the country, but it's all you can do is three-point shooting. And you're the best it's ever been. And, and it's fun for the fans because you're draining shots. But guess what? Out of every 10 games you play, and maybe two of them, that shot ain't going to be there. I don't care who you are. You ain't going to shoot that way 10 out of 10 nights. You're going to shoot that way eight out of 10 nights for the best to ever do it. That means two guaranteed losses. And offensive football is a lot like that. It's not going to be there every single week. It'll be there most weeks, but it won't be there every single week. And you, it's hard to win championships like that. I, I completely agree with that statement. Um, and, and the thing is, I don't know how much interest was actually there. I think Nick Saban, and, and this is the problem, A, it was a very closed-lipped coaching search. And I think that that, you know, you had people kind of not making up rumors, but they were taking – little bits and pieces of information that they were given that people weren't even really sure on. Like no one was concretely saying, Hey, this is happening or this is happening. It was very difficult to get information on the coordinator front. But I think Nick Saban wanted to talk to a lot of these guys, just talk to them and see, okay, this is what you've been doing. Obviously you've been successful. This is kind of what we're thinking. This is where we want to take our program. And how do you fit into that? And how can you bring your mentality and your offensive innovativeness and how does that mesh with what we're trying to do and how can you make that work and if that conversation went how Nick Saban wanted it to go it's like okay I, I like this if it didn't you know and and I mean I was told that he did have a discussion with a lot of these guys and after it it was mutually agreed upon that it was not the right fit on a lot of these guys and that I think it was because it was just conversations it was just trying to figure out you know, it wasn't just about, hey, you score a lot of points, come be our guy because we'll give you better players. It's how do you fit where we're trying to take the program? And and just I don't think enough people uh, acknowledge or, or give you know credit to that approach or, or say that that's what Nick Saban was trying to do. Uh, we only got about five more minutes, uh, a little bit less. Um, but I did want to very quickly talk about – we might hop back on here um, just because I do think we need to talk a little bit about the defense. But – Jimmy, very quickly, uh, any more thoughts on the offense before we take a quick break and then we'll come back and, and talk a little defense? No, just real excited about some new faces on offense. And, uh, you know, the running back position is real fun right now. I, I think Jace, as crazy as it sounds, Gibbs may go in the late of the first round, maybe I, I think more likely the second round, Jameer Gibbs. I think Alabama's upgrading with Jace McClellan. And this is why. Uh, Jace isn't nearly as good – as Jameer with what Jameer does best with what Jameer does best. 
Jace can't hold a candle to it. But this is where Jace is better than Jameer, running the ball on first down. I mean, and, and he's not he's not the nation's best. I'm not saying that. He's not going to wake up the echoes. It's not going to be don't 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 alert the Heisman people. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying on first and 10 and Alabama calls a play to run the football and you got two tight ends and you're going to run the power play. You want Jace McClellan out there, not Jameer Gibbs. And for that reason alone, even with Gibbs gone and Jason, who probably won't be drafted as high as Jameer, but. I think Alabama's running game is improved with Gibbs moving on for that reason. Yeah, and I see exactly where you're going with that. And, and I think Jameer Gibbs is going to be a better pro than he was a college player. You know, I, and and that's just because I think his skill set, and it's kind of the Alvin Kamara thing, NFL coaches, for whatever reason, they have a better feel on how to utilize that skill set. And, and I don't think Alabama, that they, they relied on him very heavily at certain points. Uh, he had a lot of success. Um, he was a very good running back for Alabama, but you know whether it be at Georgia Tech, whether it be at Alabama, didn't matter. Uh, I don't think he was quite utilized up to his full potential. And you know if he ends up in the right system on the NFL level, you know I think he, that he's going to be a heck of a pro. And I totally understand the first round hype. I, I, I'm right there with you. I think early second round is more likely, but it depends on when Bijan Robinson goes. Um, if I personally think Bijan just positional value. Despite the fact I think he's a top ten player in this class, I think he's going to drop a little bit. Not, I don't think he's going number ten to Philadelphia. I really don't. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I think he would be great. I think number thirty to Philadelphia is a lot more likely than number ten to Philadelphia. But I also right. think that he could go, you know, anywhere from ten, or excuse me, anywhere from twenty to thirty-one because there's thirty-one picks in the first round this year because of Miami. But I think anywhere in there um, certainly is, is good. Now, if but if that happens, I totally see. Jameer Gibbs falling to early day two. If Bijan does go number 10 to Philadelphia, I could totally see Jameer with one of those other running back needy teams towards the back half of the first round. I could see him sliding into the first round. So, you know, that's kind of how I'm viewing that. But yeah, uh, so the offense getting big, getting physical, getting strong. And, you know, at the tight end position, you know, last year, two of the six scholarship tight ends were 250 or more pounds. This year, with the weight gain that we've seen and the addition of C.J. Dupree, five of the seven are now 250 or more pounds. And so I think that that also tells you kind of everything you need to know. All right, Jimmy, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the defense because there's a lot of weight changes on that side of the football, and I think that tells us a lot too. So definitely stick around for that. We appreciate you guys listening in. This is the Bama on 3 Show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb. And welcome back. Jimmy, we were just talking about the offense, spent a lot of time on the offense. But we got to talk about the defense too. Uh, we touched on it a little bit, but just the 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 weight changes and and what that means, and you know what we think about certain guys going into spring practice. Uh, I guess this is really just a spring training preview, and we'll do a little bit more on this next week since it will be the week prior to. Uh, maybe do a little bit more in depth stuff on at least a couple of the positions, and then of course you know after spring, sometime during the summer and stuff, we're going to be doing position by position breakdowns leading up to fall camp, but, you know, the the defensive line, there were some weight changes. Obviously, Jaheim Otis, we know that he's gone from, you know, he was listed at 348 last year. I think he claimed that he was 342, but now he's listed at 328. He, he has recently claimed that he's 316, which is pretty impressive. Um, that's over 100 pounds, uh, I think 101 to be exact. 
that he's lost since arriving in Tuscaloosa. That is nothing short of amazing. It's not just the the weight loss either. He's done that while also continuing to be effective and, and become a very good football player. He contributed as a freshman. So it wasn't just like, you know, he spent all of his first year just being dedicated to losing weight. He was dedicated to learning the playbook and, and learning how to play in the SEC at a very high level and with consistency and all those things while he was simultaneously losing the weight. So it's just very impressive. He also got guys like, you know, James Smith, uh, a true freshman who was once listed at 310. He's now being listed at 296. That's a 14 pound difference. Some fans are, are a little bit concerned with that. I think it's a good thing. I think that'll allow him to be a lot more versatile and, and multiple in how you can use him. Jordan Renaud was another one who I thought was huge. He went in the other direction, gaining 16 pounds, going from about 245 to 261. I think, you know, and I've said that I feel like he's probably going to play somewhere in that 265 to 275 range throughout his career at Alabama. 261, certainly very close to that. Like the fact that he's, you know, he was built previously more like an edge, but we knew that they wanted him to play defensive line, which will have him out there on the edge some. But he's also going to be playing inside a lot, like Justin DeBoy being Byron Young and those type of, of guys. So you know that he needed to add some mass. So I thought that was big. Just uh, what were your thoughts on the defensive line changes, and and what do you think about this position unit going into spring? Uh, the the strength of it is the depth. It would be nice if we could say the strength of the unit is Quinton Williams, or the strength of the unit is Jonathan Allen. Uh, you don't really have that, although I do think J. Modis uh, is a guy that's likely to be even a first round draft pick by the time his uh, college career is deemed over. Um, but the depth of the unit is outstanding. Uh, I, I, there are six players, six, that return with experience playing with the first team. That's an unbelievable amount. I mean, with Otis, Gene Otis, Justin Aboigby, and Tim Smith, who I think will be your three primary players, you're talking about a ton of experience. Uh, Otis has the least experience of the three, and he is a returning starter. Um, but but a Boigby and Tim Smith have played many more snaps in college football games, uh, and they're good players. They're, are, are they awesome? Are they first-round picks? Probably not, uh, but they're good players. Uh, but, but beyond them, Damon Payne, he's played with the first team. Jameel Burroughs has played with the first team. Jamarian Latham has played with the first team. So they all return. What I like about that second wave, Clint, is they all do something a little different. I mean, Burroughs uh, – Burroughs and Latham, by the way, I think are really good pass rushers for interior guys. Uh, Payne is kind of a, a better maybe all-around player. He was really making strides at the end of last season. Hopefully that continues. It's a developmental position. But you got those six, and, and that's that's enough. That's more than enough. But if you want to get really excited, excited about the upside, imagine a guy like James Smith showing up and just taking a job. I mean, we can't rule that out. He, he's he's a talented kid. Uh, a Monkel Goodwine could take big strides and take someone's job. But really, if you have six, you have more than enough. I do think there'll be more snaps for the defensive line this year. Last year, as we know, controversially, we had quite a few snaps with only two defensive linemen on the field and even one famous snap with one defensive lineman on the field. That didn't really happen a whole lot. There was one snap and people acted like, oh, my gosh, we, we ought to stop doing that. Uh, it, it was really kind of a rare thing. But the whole point is, I think, Clint, this season will be a return to uh, normalcy uh, in the sense that most of the Saban era, most snaps we played with three defensive linemen on the field. 
uh, I think we'll return to that. And uh, we have six guys who played with the first team and a couple of others like a James Smith, like an Isaiah Hastings, like a Monkel Goodwine that might be knocking on the door to be part of that six. Uh, you don't want to get too deep in this sense, Clint, if you people say, oh, maybe we can play eight with the first team. Well, one issue with that is you have to be careful if you have eight because you don't want to look out on the field, Clint, look up at the scoreboard and realize it's a one-score game, you're in the fourth quarter, it's third down, and your best two defensive linemen are sitting on the sidelines because it's not their turn. You know, No, no you need your best players on the field at crucial times. Let's keep them fresh for those minutes, but it can get unwieldy like a wide receiver. You, you, you can't get away from having your very best players on the field when you need them. Yeah, it, I don't think that you're going to get eight deep. And the reason being, when, when are you going to have time to rotate all those guys? Because right. you really, you know, a lot of uh, of these games, you're not going to be able to to have a lot of substitutions anyways. Like Alabama has gotten more in the habit of making their substitutions on a drive-to-drive basis, whether that be with their edge players or with their, their defensive linemen. Like you're not seeing a lot of, when the opportunity does present itself, you know, if it's a, you know, they get a stop on on second down or, you know, something like that, and it's third and long, and now the offense kind of taking their time because they got to figure out what play they're going to run, and Alabama can make a substitution. They try to make that happen. You know, that's when they would get the cheetah package out there. If there's, you know, a lack of success on on the, for the opposing offense on first down, and there's, you know, a break there, they might be able to try to get somebody else out there. Um, but it's more so like you would see Tim Smith and you would see Jaheim Otis together, and then you would see guys like DJ Dell come in with another guy you know a lot of times sometimes it would be like moving Byron Young inside and they would be the two interior guys at that point for that next drive but it was more so when when substitutions were made a lot of times you got a lot of they were going to stay out there for the entire drive but you know talking about the edge guys because Chris Braswell went from 240 pounds to 255 pounds 15 pound difference he went from you know being still being considered, I, I would guess, you know, or, or say undersized to being the biggest outside linebacker on the roster. Now, a lot of that is because Jeremiah Alexander went from being 258 pounds as a freshman to 249. Now he's lost nine pounds, which I think also helps him become more of a complete edge, you know, with these two guys um, and, and Dallas Turner going from 240 to 242, Quandarius Robinson going from 224 to 231, you know, Quay Russo, you know, that's a guy who you know, showed up at 242 pounds after being listed as, you know, 230, 235. He's built more like an edge right now, in my opinion. What do you think about that group? Well, the edge group, a uh, lot of guys, a lot of guys. We, we, we've recruited better at the edge group than any other position on the team uh, in terms of where we've been able to stockpile five-star type talent. That's why last year we got so carried away, couldn't help it. It was like, we can't take these edge guys off the field. They're too good for us on every down. That's why we switched to the two defensive linemen looks because we didn't want to take Will Anderson or Dallas Turner off the field to say nothing of Chris Braswell, who we considered a first-team starter a year ago. Um, this year, you return Dallas and Chris Braswell. They're both really good players, especially Dallas. But I do think it'll be a return more to, you know, uh, uh, the standard nickel look will only feature one edge guy uh, as opposed to last year it was two. 
uh, and that will usually be Dallas. But Chris Braswell is going to play a ton, especially on third down. We'll continue to use two edge guys. I think on the obvious passing downs, second long, third long, we're in dime. You'll see two edge guys out there. I'm looking for – I hate projecting this because uh, it's not its not a normal thing that I would do, but I just think Keon Keeley's going to be too good to keep off the field, and I think we're going to see a lot of Keon Keeley on those third downs. I think he'll be a designated third down dime rabbit type, uh, and he'll be out there a lot. But I don't rule out seeing Quandarius Robinson, who played some snaps with the first team late last year. Jeremiah Alexander is another guy that might be just too good to keep off the field. Uh, I even think a deep reserve like Keanu Coat is a good player. Uh, he's just sort of squeezed out of snaps, to be honest. And the other freshmen besides Keeley, I just don't don't see how there's room in the rotation for them because there's just so many players ready to play ahead of them. But uh, but as a whole, I think they're going to get outstanding play from Dallas Turner. Then when there's two edges on the field, it'll be Turner and Braswell, and that'll be great. And the primary substitute, Keon Keeley. Uh, I think he could be one of the next tied greats. Uh, I, I don't want to compare him to Will Anderson. It's not fair, but let's remember how good Will was as a true freshman. I think Keon Keeley could be in that ballpark. Therefore, it'd be tough to keep him off the field. So I think Turner, Braswell, and quite a bit of Keon Keeley. And then uh, you just try to find snaps for Quindarius Robinson, Jeremiah Alexander, if you can. Uh, the other freshmen, I mean, I hate to say just redshirt them because that that's not – really how I feel about them. I think they're, they're almost too good to do that, but there has to be enough snaps. So that edge group is just outstanding, but I don't think we'll use it to death like we did a year ago, which seemed to cause a certain amount of problems as well as us. As, as many problems as it solves seem to create some others. Well, <clears throat> and if I'm, if I start wrapping things up quickly on what I'm saying, I'm getting over a cold. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm, coughing a lot while jimmy's talking and stuff I, I popped a cough drop in so if i sound weird that's probably what that is just wanted to let everybody know that the struggle is real I'm, I'm, I'm trying to power through this was supposed to happen on tuesday but but i think with this with this edge group when you're talking about uh will anderson jr uh and him leaving you're talking about dallas turner and chris braswell and, and you were mentioning keon keely it's not just about competing against each other for snaps i think you're also you know, you have to compete against, you know, Jamir Latham and Justin Aboigby and those kind of bigger bodied defensive linemen who are listed as defensive linemen, but they can play out on the edge when you're going four man fronts as well. And so there are going to be a lot of instances where there's only one outside linebacker on the field at a time. So the rotation really becomes Chris Braswell with Dallas Turner. There are situations where they're both in the field, but that's why in the past, like, you know, uh, in 2020, you had, you know, Christopher Allen, you had, um, you know, Will Anderson the year before. The rotation typically has been two outside linebackers because you're playing one outside linebacker enough where they're both getting adequate rest by substituting for each other. <clears throat> when they are on the field at the same time, you know, you're getting, you know, Dallas Turner playing the Sam. He's going to drop more. He didn't need to add as much weight. He only went from 240 to 242. But Braswell being the jack, I think him holding up more as a, you know, I think 255 helps him become more of a complete edge where he can hold up better against the run without probably losing a lot of his explosiveness as a pass rusher. Yeah, I agree. And, and 
I think, I mean, one of the things I'm looking forward to, a preview of what's coming up on Bama Insider in the next few weeks or, or months, I mean, uh, I'm going to do, because uh, I've, I've done this forever, but I'm going to do it more more formally, and that's uh, the rewatch thread. Uh, I'm going to call it the sequel. Where I'm going to rewatch all of last season's games again and pay particular attention and make a lot of comments on the Talk of Champions board on a possession-by-possession possession basis, just like we do in the rewatch thread during the season. But I'm going to pay particular attention to returning players. Won't be a whole lot of comments about Will and Bryce and Jameer Gibbs. It'll be re-watching with a lot of emphasis on the guys that, that are going to be on this team, you know, in 2023. And one of the guys I'm really going to watch closely is Braswell because I get the – I get the idea from Braswell last season, Clint, that he's still too one-dimensional in the sense I do think he's a good pass rusher. Now, when we have one sack, that doesn't mean he's not getting to the quarterback and affecting the play, but he obviously only finished once. But I think he's a good player as a pass rusher. I'm not convinced he's been a good player yet. Now we're talking three full years he's been there. I, I'm not convinced yet he's been good against the run and good at holding the point or setting the edge or making a play in the run game. Uh, I'm going to pay a lot of attention to that. Maybe this weight gain is basically him acknowledging or the staff acknowledging, hey, dude, you got to get a little better at this. We'll sacrifice a little quickness as the pass rusher because if you don't do this, then then you're, you're not going to really help us as much as you could. So that that's one of the things I'm going to be looking for uh, in the rewatch thread that we'll do uh, once spring practice, we're going we're going to get clear spring practice before we jump into last year's games again. I'll tell you right now, 34 and a half sacks for Will Anderson in his career, second most in school history, pretty impressive, right? Yep. Double digits in each of his last two seasons. Alabama will miss his run stopping ability more than it will miss his pass rushing ability, no uh, doubt about it. I agree because when you go for I don't granted and Will Anderson wasn't as good of a finisher in 2022 as he was in 2021 and I think that was the, a big problem every bit is disruptive in my opinion or, or close to it it was his ability to finish where you saw a little bit that was I would say would be somewhat lacking in comparison to 2021 Chris Braswell is a very effective pass rusher he is a disruptive player but he's got to learn to finish better you know, similar situation. I think they'll be able to provide pressure. I don't think that'll be a big issue, but I don't think people realize just how good of a run defender Will Anderson was. And that helped you so much. Like you could go, you know, you could you could focus a, a lot more on having your uh, nickel rabbits package out there when at least one of your defensive ends was an elite run stopper. And then when you had your heavy nickel and Will Anderson was your other guy, your run stopping ability across your four guys was pretty, pretty. You were you were set up pretty well. Still allowed some success. I'm not saying they were perfect, but I think that's kind of what you're looking for, and that's where I think Keon Keeley eventually he can be a Will Anderson type of player because, you know, he's a, a high upside pass rusher. He's got all those tools, needs to work and become a more technical player, but his ability to also be an effective run defender is something. You know, Dallas Turner's a good run defender. He's just not overly big. Um, he, he's not nearly on the same level as Will Anderson. Chris Braswell, obviously he's big now. We'll see how that helps. He hadn't been a great run defender throughout his career so far. So that's a key difference between what Will Anderson brought to the table 
and what you know these other two guys do. Off ball linebacker, you want to talk about those dudes? Well, uh, off ball, it's 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 a different situation for Alabama entirely, Clint. Off ball, you got Deontay Lawson, who's going to return. Uh, he's the returning starter. Love Lawson. Love Lawson. He's been banged up in his career, and you got to worry that he's not always going to be out there every week because Lawson's been banged up quite a bit in this two years he's been there. But when he's played, he's been great. He's a C.J. Mosley type inside linebacker in the sense that, to me, he's almost more athlete. Uh, he's not a thumper. Thumpers are gone. I heard a lot of talk about that last week at the Combine with Daniel Jeremiah, one of the great football experts out there, great talking about a talent evaluation. You know, Daniel Jeremiah talked about how the inside linebacker in the NFL, you know, used to have a thumper in there. That's gone. That's a dinosaur. That, that doesn't exist. Now it's a pass-covering athlete, a guy you can blitz, a guy you can drop into coverage, a guy that can defend sideline to sideline. The idea that it's a guy that's just going to bang helmets with the fullback, that just died with the fullback. So I think Deontay Lawson is a fantastic example of the new inside linebacker because he's all athlete, but he's got to have uh, somebody lining up next to him. And I think that's where the transfer portal has helped out with Trez Marshall. I'll admit, Clint, the second I heard about this, my initial reaction was, what are they doing? Does this mean they don't like Justin Jefferson? They don't like? Sean Murphy or Jihad Campbell, uh, you know, or, or Kendrick Blackshire. They don't like those guys because uh, that's news to me to some extent, a little depressing. And plus, Trez Marshall, let's be, be honest, he wasn't a starter at Georgia. He was, he was a backup player, you know, for the, for the Bulldogs. And my first, when I heard of it, or even the first evening, I was like, I don't really like this. But man, the more I dove into Trez, the more I dove into Alabama's situation, the more I thought about it, I think you were even the first to say this, Clint, so let's give you credit. Uh, I think you were the first to compare it to bringing back Jalen Moody a year ago, which Alabama also, that was a portal pickup. People don't remember that, but uh, but Jalen Moody went in the portal. Alabama recruited him out of the portal, telling him, Jalen, you're wrong. There is an opportunity for you here. And that was proven to be correct. Moody played quite a bit his, his senior year. I see Trez in the same situation that I saw Moody in a year ago, the veteran that's not just a placeholder. To call him a placeholder until a Justin Jefferson is ready, I think isn't explaining how important Trez Marshall is. He's not a placeholder. He's a starter. He's a leader. He's going to bring some toughness to that group, some leadership. And uh, <clears throat> I think he's not a <clears throat> placeholder. Boy, I'm getting what Clint's got. I don't think he's a placeholder <laughs> I don't think he's a placeholder so much as he is a starter. And will Justin Jefferson at some point move ahead of him? My guess is yes. But even if he doesn't, I think you got a quality player in Trez Marshall alongside Lawson. Man, I'll tell you what, I was such a big fan of Jod Campbell at one point in time, and I still am. I mean, don't get me wrong. I just would have thought, you know, hey, Alabama might not be in a position where they can get him on the field as a freshman, but I certainly would have thought by year two, they're getting him on the field. And now, as much as I like him, and I still think he's going to end up being a very good player at some point, my favorite player in this linebacker room right now, outside of, you know, Deontay Lawson's the established guy, but just trying to figure out, you know, who is the favorite, my favorite, to start next to him. And there's still so much that needs to be determined on that front. So as far as predicting who's going to start or any of those things, 
I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let these competitions at least start to play out and see where things are trending before I start make, trying to make a call one way or the other. But the, the person I like in the competition the most is Justin Jefferson. Just watching him more and, and seeing him come in at 225, you know, we had seen that he was anywhere from 205 to 210, then 215 is what he showed up and was listed at on the first roster update, which was really just, you know, as a, another recruiting profile had him at 215, and Alabama just takes the numbers off of there, and that's what they use. Um, so it wasn't like he had weighed in and now he's gained 10 pounds, but I, this is them actually getting the height, getting the weight, and they have him at 225. It's not phenomenal. But it's Alabama's played with similar style, similar size guys. Uh, you know, uh, Henry Toto, 6'2", 228, had an extra inch. Same type of body style, really, when you add it in that extra. I mean, I, if I had to guess, Jefferson Jefferson's probably not 6'1". He's probably six foot. But at the same time, you know, uh, Christian Harris, six foot, 229. You know, Reuben Foster, six foot, a little over six foot. 226, 227, something like that. So it's pretty common size for Alabama's linebackers, but just his ability to be a heat-seeking missile and just, just when he sees it, he goes and gets it, and he can get downhill in a, in a hurry. If he can pick up the defense and he understands the nuances of playing at Alabama, I, th I think he's going to end up being a great player. But, you know, Tresman Marshall, and, and we've talked about this a little bit on this show, but fans don't seem to understand Nick Saban has said himself, we're not going to get depth out of the, the transfer portal. That's not what we're, that's not what we're targeting. We're getting guys who can help us, who can get on the field and help us. They bring something to the table. Does it always work out that way? I mean, obviously with with uh, Tyler Harrell, it didn't. Um, so that doesn't mean it's gonna what you want. I gotta be is what he's gonna turn out to be. But they had a specific plan and reason for wanting to target him in the transfer portal and they went out and they got him and then fans think hey they're they're signing Tresman Marshall just to be a depth guy it's that's not what he's being brought in to do uh, he's going to be given opportunities and and what he does with that opportunity that will determine whether he's the starter or not he's going to compete but they they brought him in with the expectation hey we think you're going to be able to help us in this way and that does not include being a coach on the sidelines standing next to Nick Saban that includes being on the field so, uh, you know, I think that's pretty important to to note. The inside linebacker competition is very intriguing, though. I think there's a lot of, you know, potential guys who could end up, you know, becoming that guy. Kendrick Blackshire is another one who doesn't really get mentioned. For me, I, I view him a little bit further down the list. But, I mean, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on Kendrick Blackshire? Well, I like, I like Kendrick a lot. Uh, there's no reason not to like Kendrick Blackshire. You know, I'm not going to be negative in any way, but I would just point out that he is the oldest kid that's on the inside linebacker, along with Lawson. He's the oldest kid, and they went out and they got a Juco, and they went out and they got a portal guy. And it's completely fair to point that out and say, well, are you taking that as a direct acknowledgement by the staff that they are not confident that Blackshire could be a starter even in now his junior season? I think he's in the mix. I think he's one of our best special teams players. I, I think – he certainly looks the part. Uh, I get excited when I, I see him on special teams because he looks like the type of guy that can help you on defense. But I'm just being honest when I say in terms of age and guys we've recruited out of high school, the starters should be Deontay Lawson and Kendrick Blackshire. But instead, they've signed a guy out of the portal and a Juco. So I, I, for that reason alone, uh, if it was a stock, I, I'm not buying Blackshire. Uh, and, and that's the reason. And you can say that's unfair. 
maybe he's got more development to do. And, and hey, I'm, I'm always the one hollering that, that hey, it's never over until it's no over with these guys. And Kendrick has a lot of upside. And I'm still excited to have him on the team and still excited to see what he looks like this spring. But if we're, if we're just slotting guys, who's the most obvious inside linebacker to have a starting role? Lawson, who's second? either Marshall or just your, your guy, Justin Jefferson, it's Marshall or Jefferson in second and third in some order. Who's fourth Sean Murphy and Jihad Campbell were playing some snaps down the stretch last year and they're younger than Blackshire. Now I think Blackshire was hurt late. I think that's true. Uh, but no, I, in terms of projecting, you know, we don't rotate at that spot. We can platoon. That, that to me is different than rotating. Rotating means hey, the fresh guy, we're sending you out there. Platoon means down and distance and situations. You know, we want to use, for instance, let's say we want to use Trez Marshall on the uh, on rundowns and we want to use Justin Jefferson on the pass downs. That's, that to me is more of a platoon, like a righty-lefty thing in baseball. Um, I, I, so we platoon there, but we don't really sub or rotate um, or we haven't in the past. So I guess that's a lot of words to say, I'll be surprised if we see Blackshire out there at anything other than garbage time. And I'm not saying that because I'm down on him as a player at all. I'm just saying it's a little crowded. The most encouraging to me about Justin Jefferson due to his size, you know, I think that if you were asking him to be a sub package player and that's all you're asking him to be, I think 205, 210, 215, I don't think that's terrible. You know, that that's more, that's making him a dime linebacker. Right. I mean, it, it's making it which you use safeties for that a lot in the NFL. Um, you roll guys down and, and, and they can be undersized like that. Him being 225, when you watch him on tape, he's been kind of profiled as a situational linebacker a lot. When you actually watch him, I think the most impressive thing about him is his ability to get downhill against the run and play super physical. And just he, he, he's got he's a big hitter, loves, you know, mixing things up. He's very ferocious coming downhill. And so him being two, 225, if he can hold up and, and stacking and shedding offensive linemen like he's going to be asked to do, I think his run-stopping ability um, or his ability to impact uh, things against the run, especially with a big guy like Jahad Campbell, or excuse me, not Jahad Campbell, Jaheim Otis in front of him, I, don't, I think that's another aspect of this that people don't really realize. Uh, having that big body presence that's going to command a lot of attention, you can have the heat-seeking missiles behind them. Who can, or, you know, you can try to keep them as clean as possible. Now, I think Alabama wants to be a little bit more disruptive up front. It's not going to be about two gapping and, and, you know, eating up blocks. Um, but I do think there's some mixing and matching that can go on there. And that's why I like Jefferson a lot. And when it comes to Kendrick Blackshire, I like him as well. I think he's a good player. I view him in some ways similarly to how I view Chain Lee. Very intelligent player, seems to be a ball magnet, just always around the football. But the the short area quickness, the ability to break down and make plays in space, it's something that Shane Lee really struggled with. And I think Kendrick Blackshire, I think it really helped him going from 245 to 232, 233 like he's been. But I think there's still some issues there. It's kind of like when Shane Lee went from 248 to 240. Certainly helped, but it's just there, there are some limitations athletically where you're going to see him miss some tackles in space and stuff. And that's where I think that really hurts him in the competition when he's he's more so getting downhill, you know, chasing footballs on, on special teams. That's a little bit different. And he's able to do that very effectively, stay in his lane, be very physical. But, you know, it's just I'm, – and I'm not counting him out at all. He could certainly, you know, climb the depth chart, rise to the occasion, 
we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But that's kind of just for people that have been asking why I've been bringing up Kendrick Blackshire more. I think that you hit the nail on the head, you know, with, with everything that they had coming back, still transfer portal, uh, which is a guy who come, he's only got two years. He comes in wanting to compete right now. And it was, you know, transfer portal. Another guy who's got a couple of years, but he, you, he's expecting to come in and compete right now. So we'll have to see how that all ends up playing out. Back half of the defense will cover it very quickly. Malachi Moore going from 190 to 198. I thought that was pretty big as far as, you know, reinforcing my belief that he's going to be moved to safety. He's another guy, the short area quickness, the burst. I don't think he had a whole lot of it at 190. You don't want that kind of player. You don't want to add 10 pounds essentially to that guy's frame and keep him at star. I think uh, allowing him to move to safety, to come downhill more and be more physical against the run, you know, I think that fits his skill set a little bit more. But I certainly think he's going to be crucial to this secondary because they've, they've lost so much experience. And and if you don't have him out there, what is your experience at safety? It, it's little to It's guys like Devontae Smith and Christian Story who have like less than 60 career snaps. Uh, it's Caleb Downs, who's a true freshman, who's going to be out there. I don't think anybody is going to, to, to dispute that, at least in, in some capacity. But he has no experience, absolutely none. So I think that Malachi Moore, with the inexperience at star and safety, I think he's got to be a, a part of your plan somewhere in the secondary. No question he'll be back there. I saw, you know, I live on campus, basically. I, you know, for a lot of people who don't know, I'm living right now on campus, and I saw Malachi a day or two ago on campus uh, just walking around. Let me tell you, he's listed at 198, but, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty decent at because uh, I've been watching high school football forever, so I'm pretty decent at looking at guys and guessing weights. And looking at Malachi, my, my honest guess would have been 205, uh, and, and I know he's listed at 198. I mean, he... He is just not even the same looking kid that we signed three years ago. Uh, when we probably signed him at probably around 180, I would guess 185. But no, he is he is a solid. He looks like a safety. Uh, I think it's going to start at defensive back a little like the offensive line, and by that I mean you're going to start with your veterans, and and there's only three. There, there's Kool Aid, who, who's maybe the best cornerback in football. Uh, Terry on Arnold, who was really good as a freshman. I know he, he's, he got beat some and he's going to get beat some more. Hey, one thing about this, we'll, we'll get to Malachi cause that, that's big. But one thing about Terry and Arnold, we got to get through our, our, all of our fat heads right now. No one's going to throw a Kool-Aid. If, if, if Arnold's on the other corner, no one's going to test Kool-Aid. Uh, that, that will happen, but it will, t- it will happen rarely. They're going to go at Arnold because why would you go at Kool-Aid? And people will take that as there's something wrong with Terry on Arnold, or he's not very good. He's given up too many catches. It's just the nature of the fact that he's going to be attacked a lot. So he's going to give up a lot. He's also going to make a lot of plays, and I think he's going to prove to be pretty good. And getting ahead of ourselves, the following season, probably nobody's going to go at Arnold. They'll go at whoever the new guy is. You know, that's just how it works. But Arnold's going to see a lot of action on the other corner. I think he's good. I think he'll hold up. I don't believe he will prove not good enough for the job. I, I think he's going to be good. Will I be shocked if someone takes the position from him, like an Earl Little or even a Des Ricks eventually? Uh, no, I, I won't be shocked if that happens. Uh, I don't expect it to. My guess, my money is on Kool-Aid and Arnold at the corners and Malachi at star or safety. 
leaning towards safety. Early on, I was leaning towards star. I think Clint is, is very logical and correct. I mean, it makes more sense that you'd have Malachi out there on every down. I, I'm not convinced that star is his best position. Uh, he did get one start at safety in his career. Two years ago, he played safety against the Miami Hurricanes in the starter, and he actually played really well and even got a pick in that game. Um, I sort of like Malachi's and every down safety, particularly if in the back of their minds, Clint, the idea is Caleb Downs is too good to keep off the field. We've got to put Caleb out there, but we can't, you can't put a safety out there who's lost. You can't, that's the worst position to be lost because you're the last line of defense. Safeties who bust give up touchdowns. Defensive linemen and linebackers who bust give up first downs. Safeties who bust give up touchdowns. You can't have busts. So having a freshman back there is scary. Malachi would be such a big help to Caleb Downs. He can literally be the coach on the field. Um, by the way, Malachi's likely to go into coaching when his career is over. Uh, Malachi would be the coach on the field, the traffic cop, the guy that helps Caleb Downs know where to be. Now, can Malachi help Caleb and also take care of his own business? That's a lot to ask, but he is a senior who's played a lot. So uh, that's kind of the lineup as I see it. I think Christian Story, uh, again, I hate using the term placeholder because you know what a placeholder is? A starter. <laughs> a starter, at least for a few games. Uh, so I hate that term, but I think somebody like a Christian Story can be the starter until Caleb Downs is ready. Or maybe Caleb is ready against Middle Tennessee I mean, because, you know, Minka was. And a lot of people compare Caleb to Minka. Uh, at least one position open. To me, that's the star position. I don't know what's going to happen there. I don't even know who's going to play there. I'll just tell you that on the surface, I'm rooting for Earl Little, who seems like such a good fit there. But again, Earl Little, like Caleb, he hasn't played at all. Now, he's been in the program for a year. He'll know the system better because he's been there for a year. Uh, son of a player, son of an all-star, son of an NFL player, uh, probably natural, just like Caleb will be natural coming from a family of of high-level football players. But that's kind of how I see it on the surface, Clint, is McKinstry and Arnold at the corner, Malachi and Caleb Downs at safety with Christian Story playing safety until Caleb's ready, Earl Little at star, assuming he's ready. But that's that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. And now, here's the thing. Trying to break down and trying to look into the, the whys behind things. It would be kind of strange. A lot of people have, have adopted this belief that Tyrion Arnold could shift inside to star or could maybe even play safety. I completely acknowledge that either one of those two, two things are possible. Uh, don't get me wrong here. It would be kind of strange, though, for him to have spent two years, his first two seasons on campus, practicing pretty much exclusively as a perimeter corner. And just when he starts to get comfortable, he started to really get comfortable last year, still had some technical thing that he needed to clean up, didn't always play, you know, the ball in the air correctly. You know, I think a lot of defensive backs in the secondary last year struggled with that. But, you know, Arnold was the one that was being targeted the most. But at the same time, when just it would be strange for you, you would think he's going to continue this positive growth of, and, and development at that spot and get more comfortable there after spending his entire high school career at safety. And then right when he starts getting comfortable, you kick him inside and have him learn a new position or you move him back to safety where, you know, you should have just left him there. Now, granted, I, they might have felt like they needed more depth on the perimeter and it was more out of necessity, but, you know, it, it would just it would be strange timing. So I, with that said, it's certainly possible. 
So I won't rule that out. But my assumption is that he will be the guy at perimeter corner. So then that tells you, you know, it's it, we, I've talked about a lot, Tyrion Arnold and Earl Little Jr. I think one of them's your other corner, one of them's your star. That's been my assumption all along. I didn't know re- really which one it would be. But as I started thinking about Arnold more, I started thinking, and, you know, with, with Little, very tenacious, scrappy guy. I think that he kind of fits that mold, plays with his hair on fire. And I think that's kind of what you want your star to be, you know, sending him on blitzes and, and stopping the run and, you know, uh, covering slot receivers and being physical. You got to cover tight ends some, you know, guys that are that are flexed, but also having the athleticism. You got a, a perimeter corner athleticism type of player in Earl Little who does a lot of those other things effectively that you want in your star, but he's playing inside. Like that could help against your Jalen Heights in the world, right? So I like that fit for Earl Little Jr. We'll have to wait and see how it ends up turning out, but I do like that. Um, very quickly, putting my conspiracy theorist hat on, putting the tinfoil hat on, Jaheim Otis lost 20 pounds. Tim Smith lost two. Tim Keenan lost weight. A lot of your defensive linemen lost weight. A lot of your young defensive linemen gain weight, but a lot of your defensive linemen across the board lost weight. A lot of your offensive linemen gained weight, correct, Jimmy? All right. And Quinn Barnes gained nine pounds. Went from three hundred five to three fourteen. Don't know Is if that moving? means anything, but he could be he could be moving. We're short on a. We have too many defensive linemen on scholarship. That's my my opinion in terms of what the ideal numbers are. You have too many defensive linemen on scholarship. You don't have enough offensive linemen on scholarship. So it only makes sense. I will say this. There's less position movement than there used to be. Overall, there's less than there used to be. But now there's almost none. And why is that? Because of the transfer portal. Now, if you go to a kid and you you suggest they move a position, this is where they're moving off campus to another one. You know. So now with an Anquan Barnes, let's be totally honest. I mean, you go to Anquan Barnes, you tell him, hey, uh, we want you to move to offense. And he says, uh, I'll just go to the transfer portal. You Probably say, well, we'll help you find, we'll we'll help you in your new place. I mean, and I'm not, not saying that to be mean. It's just he's not in the picture, if or he hasn't been in the picture yet. Let's give him the spring. Maybe maybe he will be. But I I would not rule out Anquan Barnes moving to offense. As a matter of fact, I've seen him in person too. Anquan Barnes looks like an offensive lineman, if that means anything to anybody. But it, you know, I look at him and I'm like, offensive. He even looks like an attack. He's got long arms. You know, it's kind of yeah, long. Yes. You know, he could play tackle or guard. So I, I, I don't I don't rule that out at all, Clint. I will not be surprised in the least. And I think that's a heck of a catch by you on the weight thing, because even without knowledge of the weight thing, Barnes and Keenan make the most sense to me if you're moving defensive guys to offense. Well, and with you brought up potentially being able to run eight deep on your defensive line. You know, certainly have six guys who have the experience. You bring in, you know, James Smith. You've got guys like, you know, Curtis Perry and and Isaiah Hastings, who the coaching staff is very high on. Nobody talks about Anquin Barnes, and no offense to him. I, I, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. My point here is that while you would mostly have the transfer portal as an option, the guys who are going to be worth adding in the transfer portal, they want to be able to have the opportunity to start. And I think that you've you've kind of, not made some promises and not certainly not made any promises to these young guys to, for a starting job. It's the, we're going to give you the opportunity to start every opportunity to start. And so if you bring in a transfer portal guy, you either got to make a false promise to him or you got to make a false promise to your young guy. 
you can now granted you can make be up front and say hey you'll, you'll be given the, the opportunity to compete but you're not giving your young guy every opportunity to win the job if you've also promised this transfer portal player hey we're going to give you every opportunity to compete as well so it makes it more difficult to add a caliber of athlete and offensive lineman that you would want out of the transfer portal when that's kind of the way that the offensive line set up it's why i think they're very short on numbers right now like how do you go about you know, making that pitch and adding somebody that's 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 quality enough that you would even want, or it just becomes another walk-on caliber player, maybe slightly better. And it's like we really, if this guy ends up being forced to play, we're screwed anyways. So I think with Anquin Barnes and his talent, his length, his size, it makes the most sense to just say, hey, let's give him the opportunity. There, there's not a whole lot of opportunities right now on the defensive line. If you move to offense, you know we're short on depth. There are plenty of scenarios where you could find yourself playing in a football game. And and could, if you develop, you're still a young player, you can end up becoming a guy who ends up being, you know, if you've got first-round length and all that stuff, I'm not saying that Anquin Barnes is going to be a first-round pick, but my point is, is I think you can make that sell and get Anquin Barnes to agree to it much in the same way that you did Alfred McCullough back in the day. Um, you know, he was a very promising young defensive lineman, but the opportunities were there more on the offensive line. And at the end of the day, Alfred wanted to be on the field, so he was willing to make that position switch. And, and Alfred never became a full-time starter or this great player on the offensive line, but he contributed a lot more than he probably would have on the defensive line. So, you know, it, yeah, it can end up working out for these guys. And I just thought that was interesting. I know I that that can mean absolutely nothing, but I did find it interesting. All these other guys are losing weight and their bodies are being reshaped in one direction. And Anquin Barnes is like, he, he almost put on double digit pounds and that falls in line with all the offensive linemen and what the weight kind of weight they're putting on. So I just thought that was interesting. Uh, Jimmy, anything else before we hop off here? No, I th- that was a good preview of the whole uh, depth chart, really, in terms of what we expect to, to see this spring. There will be surprises. Uh, there are surprises every year. Uh, I can't wait to see what they are. Uh, when you recruit at the level Nick Saban recruits, there are guys you don't expect that do make runs at the starting lineup because, frankly, all 85 guys on the team, and I think they are literally going to have – uh, right around 85 on scholarship out there this spring. Uh, any of the 85 can make a move because you don't recruit anything but good players here. And it's a developmental sport. Kids develop at different paces. The light's going to come on for a couple kids this spring that we don't anticipate. That's what's going to make it a lot of fun. Uh, you just hope everybody stays healthy, everybody's ready, uh, and, and that A Day has a great crowd because uh, there, there's going to be a lot of position battles going on, a lot of things to be determined uh, that will happen on A Day, including to me the question of the spring, which is the white team. That's the first team offense. When and Nick Saban's A Days, the Crimson first team is on defense. The white team is the first team offense. Who's going to be the quarterback on that white team? Is it going to be the returning veteran Milrow, or uh, or is Ty Simpson going to going to be the leader? Uh, for the job at that point, uh, whoever starts on the white offense doesn't mean that you start against Middle Tennessee in the opener. But uh, but it, it's it's a heck of a thing that we'll talk about all all summer right here on the uh, the Bam on Three show. Man, I tell you what, Jimmy, they're wearing black jerseys, right? Yep. I think you see yep. both. Very possible. That, uh, yeah, very I possible. Man, because it's there for a second, I was going to say, oh, man, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't put it past this coaching staff to put them both on the same roster and put the two true freshmen on the other one. But then yep. I started thinking, I'm like, well, you're wearing black jerseys anyway, so you could just put it. Now, granted, you will technically put both. Uh, you know, the, the one might be listed with one roster and the other with the other. But I, I think the the smarter way to go about it is just say, hey, you're wearing black jerseys. 
you know, get reps with the first team offense, get reps with the second team offense, mix and match there, sprinkle in the freshman, and let's see where this thing goes. But having four quarterbacks, it's, it's going to be fun, man. I, I can't wait to see how that turns out. I can't wait to see how the linebacker, inside linebacker competition, you know, what the defensive fronts look like, what the rotation looks like, where's Malachi Moore playing, Tyrion Arnold, Earl Little, uh, how's Caden Proctor. We know, we know how he's going to look. He's going to look damn impressive. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. But right. how does he look from a you know athleticism standpoint? How's he carrying three fifty four? Where's he lining up? Do, are they are they kind of protecting him a little bit by playing him at guard? Do they have him out there at tackle? Granted, Tyler Booker spent pretty much the entire spring at right tackle, kicked inside the guard in, in fall camp or over the summer, and ended up. Uh, I think that's his long term position. I think he's going to be great there. Or maybe Tyler Booker plays tackle this year. I mean, who knows? I mean, it, that's possible too. You could have Elijah Pritchett. And Caden Brocker or Ferguson, Terrence Ferguson, or or Jaden Roberts, or some of those guys playing your guard spots, and you might have Tyler Booker and J.C. Latham, who are both uh, three hundred thirty five pounds, as your two bookend tackles. Who knows? But that's the that's the fun of all this, you know. It, it, we don't know how things are going to look, and I want to see how Jamarian Miller or Jam Miller, I guess now, how does he yeah. look? Where where is he? Is he lining up? You know, is he getting first team snaps? Is he I mean, more than likely it's going to be the third team running back on the depth chart as far as the way he's listed? But are they making sure to keep him involved in the conversation with the first team? It's, it's so many question marks and so many things to be excited about. So it's going to be a fun spring to cover. Jimmy, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. I know we had some, you know, dealing with my cold, my computer <laughs> shut down in the middle of this while we had started the second part. Um, I don't even know if people are going to catch that or if we flaw, if I can somehow flawlessly oh. make that seem like that it wasn't a thing. I don't uh, doubt your skills, pal. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But e- either way, we this is a super long one, but we wanted to kind of dive in and, and give people a, a nice little preview for the spring. So we'll talk more. We'll answer some questions from people next week, uh, mostly talking about spring, but I also got a couple in there that are, you know, NFL related. NFL draft and so we'll have some fun with that but really it's going to be focused on spring football so as always buddy I appreciate you hopping on here with me yeah yeah a lot of fun can't wait for uh, another mailbag episode we love those and the NFL draft again great time of the year and uh, good luck to Alabama in the SEC basketball tournament which uh is uh really really gets in gear today as we record this on Thursday and uh and maybe uh maybe Alabama will be adding a trophy to the case on Sunday that would be that would be awesome man Uh, I'm excited to see how it turns out All right, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Once again, this is the Bam on 3 Show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.